So that was Wolf Mother, and when I was recording it, my dog really hates Wolf Mother, apparently, he kept barking good. And so after the fifth cake, I was just like, we're just keeping the bark thin, we're just going with it. And so, uh, yeah. Uh, today we're talking about the creation of woman, and I was like, I've got to start with the Wolf Mother song, Woman. Like, it's the only way to start out the message. And uh, so that's, that's why that was different. So, before we get into the passage, here's our question. How many ribs do men have? How many ribs do women have? What do you think? The same. That is absolutely right. That doesn't seem like rocket science, right? Uh, growing up in church, I was told men have 23 ribs, women have 24 ribs. Because God took a rib out of Adam to make eat. Um, I had pastors tell me this, and over and over again I heard this in churches. That's just not true. That's just not true. We have the same number of ribs. Unless you have a serious health condition, then you have the exact same ribs, whether you're male or female. Um, the word rib that we're going to look at in our passage today has perplexed translators for a long time. And so we're going to jump into the passage. We're going to talk about that. And hopefully you find this interesting and inspiring today. In Genesis 2, verses 18 through 25, it says, Then Yahweh said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. And Yahweh formed out of the ground every wild animal, every bird of the sky, and brought each to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man named the living creature, that was its name. And the man would give names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So Yahweh caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. And God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. And then Yahweh made the rib he had taken from the man and uh, into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. And now both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no Shame. I changed the words in my reading from Lord God to Yahweh, as we talked about. That's the name of God last week. Uh, but the interesting thing we see here is that mankind or humanity with only men is not good, right? You, some of you ladies could have told us that, right? A bunch of guys get together. Uh, we used to live underneath of a uh, Villanova men's frat house. And, you know, just all men there, it's not good. They're dirty, they're messy, they're loud, they're, they're terrible, right? But that's not the big takeaway. The terms good and bad, as they're used in Genesis 1 and 3, remember, are about order and chaos, potential and squandered potential. Humanity is at its best. It is good when it is in diverse community. God intended for humans to be connected to other people who are different than them. You and I are at our best, not when we're surrounded with people who look exactly like us and talk exactly like us and think exactly like us. But when we surround ourselves with diversity that is found in all of humanity, read people you disagree with. Sometimes I had a pastor friend come over to my house one time and he looked at the books of my show. I can't believe you have that guy's book. I was like, how do I know whether or not what he's saying is true unless I've read it? How, how can I decide whether or not he's, I can't just take somebody's word for it, I need to read it for myself. Befriend people with different political and religious affiliations. We're at our best when we don't silo ourselves with people just like us. Allow your ideas to be questioned and challenged. True things can stand up under scrutiny. Sometimes as a uh, Christian, I was almost taught to like, don't look at other faiths. 
because then you might see how good they are and leave. And that was almost the mentality. I'm like, hey, if Jesus is who he says he is, you can look at every other religion and recognize that Jesus is better. He's a better way. I think sometimes we get complacent and we settle for good enough instead of something truly good. God could have been like, everything's good, right? That's what he's been saying. It's like, good, good, good. He looked at Adam and he's like, man, not quite good. He really needs community, but it's good enough and just gone on. That's not what God does. Sometimes that's what I do. I'm like, ah, it's good enough. He always works to bring good. He never settles for good enough. Sometimes, though, I wish he would. Have you ever done this in your life? You're like, come on, God, I've made some progress. Can't we just leave it here? And he's like, no, no, I've got to push you. i got to take you farther. You still have room to grow. You're good, but you can become more good then. So God makes a helper corresponding to Adam. That's weird, right? We don't talk like that. The reason that it's phrased so weird here in this translation is it's a really hard compound word to translate. Uh, it's historically a tricky phrase to translate. Many of your translations might say something like, God is going to make a helpmate or a help meet. Uh, the Bibles that I grew up hearing sermons from use that terminology. And I grew up hearing these terms a lot like, women are helpmates. They are helpmates. And you're like, what does that word even mean? We don't use words like that. Um, many times in church, I was told women were created as a helpmate to men. And this usually led to all kinds of misogynistic statements like, the way that God uh, intended women to behave is, God, are, God created women to help men in their life accomplish the men's vision and dreams, to take care of the kids so that the men can change the world, to make the food so the men can change the world, clean the house so that the men can change the world. Um, that's not actually what it's saying here. So if you were just like, I'm about to storm out of here, well, you don't have to. If you were about to say, well, forget Christianity, if that's what it says about women, you don't have to. Um, Help me and help made, I think, are bad translations because they lead to that kind of thinking. You just naturally think, well, man, I'm just there to help the man. Like, I don't have my own story. That's, that's not the best translation of the word. The Hebrew word here is Eitzer. Um, it's translated help, which isn't a terrible translation, but I think in this context, it, um, it gets messy when we think about it. So Eitzer comes from two Hebrew root words, root words meaning power and strength and rescue and save. Um, and Eitzer is a rescuer, a deliverer, a savior. That means in God's eyes, women look more like Captain Marvel. I think I've got a picture of Captain Marvel here. And, uh, more than kind of a 1950s household. <laughs> like Eitzer looks more like this and less like that. Not that this is bad, but... The word Eitzer is much closer to that. I remember when the Captain Marvel movie came out, a prominent American pastor and theologian, I have some of these books on my shelf, uh, released a viral blog post about how superheroes should only be men. Apparently God doesn't agree. Because he called Eve an Eitzer. In fact, the majority of the time the word Eitzer is used in the Bible is to describe the rescuing hand of God himself. And I just want to show you a couple examples so you know I'm not crazy, I'm not like making this up, I'm not just being like, oh, Alice is so hip and cool, he's trying to make Eve into something she's not. This is the exact same Hebrew word that's used here. Exodus 18.4. My father's God was my Eitzer. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Deuteronomy 33.7. Hear, Lord, the cry of Judah. Bring him to his people. With his own hands he defends his cause. Oh, be an Eitzer against our foes. 
Deuteronomy 33 and 26, there is no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides across the heavens to Aether you on the clouds in his majesty. Deuteronomy 33, 29, blessed are you, Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He is your shield and your Aether. He is your glorious sword. Your enemies power before him. You will tread on Psalm 3320, we wait and hope for the Lord. He is our Aether and our shield. Women, you are an Aether to your families, to your workplaces, to your communities, to this church. Thank you. Thank you. We need you. There's a dozen more scriptural examples of the word Aether used in the Old Testament. We'll stop there for today. The second word where we get help meet or mate. Uh, comes from a Hebrew word that literally means the mirror reflection. And you'll see some translations will say, the person, the help standing opposite of me. This is the equal and opposite reflection of myself. And the author gives us some details to explain what he's talking about here. Um, there are male and female animals with similar but distinct features and strengths. And God was creating humanity with the same distinction we see in the animal world. Um, you've seen two animals, right? And you're like, oh, that cardinal. Is that a male cardinal or a female cardinal? And you look at the coloring, you look at the shape, and you go, that's a male cardinal. It's the same bird. They're both cardinals, but there's slight differences. That's called sexual dimorphism in the science world. And so God brought all these animals to Adam, and Adam was like, okay, a lion, a lion, human. I don't have that same thing going on with me. Adam looked at the mandrel and the lion and the mandrel duck, and he said, okay, wait a minute. They're the same thing, but they're slightly different. I don't have the corresponding equal and opposite to myself. And he says, I'm missing something. And God said, it's not good. He needs unity. He needs a power and a strength that is equal and opposite him. Now, this is a weird scenario. It says God brought all the animals to him, and he started naming them. And I'm like, did it take him forever? Like, did he spend thousands of years naming all the animals? And he was on the shore, and the fish would swim up, and he's like, goldfish, koi, bats. You know, like, how did this happen? Um, we got to remember that every time the word man is used here, or humanity, or Adam, right? It comes from the Hebrew word that simply means humanity. Adam means humanity. Uh, so this may be a clever way of the author saying, humanity is going to name all the animals. Humanity eventually is going to name all the animals, and that as they find animals, they're going to name them. Um, it could be that this was the first man, and God brought all the animals, and he named them, and now we're finding the names again later on. That's possible. It may be that he named a dog, but he didn't name all the variations of dogs that will ever come. But it could also be a way that this archetypal picture of mankind is a way of saying that they're going to name all the animals. There were 71 new species of animals named in 2019, discovered in 2019, and named 2020, there weren't a lot of new ones discovered. Everybody was quarantined, right? Nobody was out discovering animals anymore. But what happens when we discover a new animal? We name it. Sometimes we name it after ourselves, right? We're like, I'm gonna live on in this ugly bug-eyed fish by naming it after myself. But isn't it weird that when we discover something new, we name it? Why aren't we just like fish number 314? <laughs> we name it. We're like, oh, that's a parrot fish. We name it. Not only with scientific names, but also with personal names. According to the author of Genesis, we 
name things because it's one of the jobs that God wrote into our very being. It's human nature. We name stuff. I've named cars. I certainly named pets. The next picture here is of a humble penguin. Not only does it have a scientific name, it's a humble penguin, but it also has a personal name. That's Eddie. Um, Darby, a few years ago, her lifelong dream, her bucket list, only had one thing. I want to touch a penguin. I think it literally said, I want to snuggle a penguin, but we, we got as close as we could. And so when you heard that in the Baltimore Zoo, you could go down, pay more money, or I mean a lot of money, totally worth it though, so that you could touch a penguin. And so for her birthday one year, we went down and she got to touch a penguin. And this is Eddie, and Eddie loved her. He just hung around her the whole time. This other lady came over and was like, hey, and the penguin like bit her and started bleeding. And then he just went up to Darby's leg and was like, you're my mama. <laughs> Um, but a scientist named this breed of penguin, this species of penguin, the humble penguin, and then zookeepers named him Eddie. Like, why do we do that? You go down to the Philadelphia Zoo, every animal has a name. It's not just a lion, it's Leo, you know, like they have names. Human nature, something has been built into us that we want to name things. God brought the animals to Adam, just like God brings people into our life. And I think God brings animals into our life. He created the world to enjoy, and he created you to enjoy it with him. And part of that includes cute, adorable, furry little friends. Uh, we have a dog that's part Havanese and part Poodle, and we named him Hagrid. And this tendency to name things, I think, is part of our divine assignment. That dog or cat or bearded dragon that brings you joy is a gift from a loving and generous God. So... This is a terrible transition, but let's talk about ribs. Um, I think I got a picture. Anybody hungry? Ribs, right? Not those kind of ribs, but I immediately want barbecue whenever I think about ribs. The Hebrew word here translated rib is the word for side. It's the same word that's used when they're building the Ark of the Covenant, and he's like, build a box. It's going to have two sides. Same word that's used here. The Ark of the Covenant probably didn't have ribs, but it did have sides, right? Um, it's actually usually used as an architectural term, like the side of a building, like half of a building. So ancient rabbis kind of theorized, what was God making Eve out of if he was making Eve out of the side of a person? They said, what do we have on our sides? We have ribs. Maybe it's a rib. Um, modern scholars have been like, well, we have the same amount of ribs, so it can't be that. Is there some other bone that it could be? And there's been this debate. When the Bible was first translated into English, they were like, I don't know how to translate this word. So they're like, we'll just go with what some of the rabbis said. They said rib. We'll put the word, English word, rib. So is rib a bad translation? I mean, it's been a historic translation, but the word is actually for a side or a half. Um, so... We have this side of the building that we meet on, and then another side over there. That's, uh, that's essentially the same word that's used here. It's one building, and it has two sides. But if the word Adam means humanity, this is perhaps an archetype of mankind instead of just an ordinary man. And so the word could be something like this. It's taking a side of humanity. It's literally splitting humanity into half, and now you have male and female. You have two parts of humanity. Female was humanity just like male was humanity. Humanity climbed out of the dirt and male and female are made up of the same material of humanity. That's what Adam says. He's like, she's made of the same stuff that I am. She's just like me. Now, some people in the Middle Ages 
Um, they started coming up with some crazy ideas, Christian priests and Jewish rabbis. It was a time where education wasn't highly valued. And some people began reading the story of Genesis as a continuous chronology. And so they're like, in chapter one, it says God made male and female. Now in chapter two, God's making a different female out of Adam. They saw this as a contradiction. So they theorized that in chapter one, God made Adam's first wife, Lilith. If you've ever heard of Lilith, uh, it's a Hebrew word that literally means night creature. And so it grew up into all these fantastical ideas about a vampirous type woman. Um, and then in chapter two, after Lilith had disappeared and gone and married Satan, according to this theory, Jewish, um, Jewish rabbis and some Christian priests began saying, well, then Eve came along and she was like a good wife. Um, Jewish mothers would warn their sons, well, you're out at the tavern. Some woman starts coming on to you, that's Lilith, the bride of Satan, and she's going to suck out your soul, so don't do anything you shouldn't do. You know, and it became like the ancient Dark Ages birth control, fear, and superstition. <laughs> the Dark Ages gave rise to all kinds of crazy theories devoid of all but the scarcest scriptural evidence, so kind of like social media today, you know, exactly <laughs> the same. But Genesis 1, I think, gives us a poetic overview. The Cliff Notes version, essentially, like, God creates everything. Here's what it looks like. It's all ordered and put together. And then in chapter 2, we jump into some details. Remember, chapter 1 didn't tell us the name of God. It just said, Elohim, this ruling, higher being, created this. Then chapter 2 tells us, oh, that being's name is Yahweh. And then it starts delving into some of these other details. I don't think that it is. A, there were two wives. I think that chapter 1 just gives us an overview, and chapter 2 gives us a little bit more details. Um, we get an epic narrative poem in chapter 1, and then chapter 2 is like, hey, let me flesh out some of these things. I think it's crazy to take read chapter 1 and get to chapter 2 and be like, I think there's just a completely other person here, even though her name isn't mentioned or anything says that. Let's just fill in those details with wild, outlandish theories. Now, remember, important moments in the Old Testament are told in these little breakout poems. And probably in your translation, you can see this, that there's a little breakout poem here in verse 23, where Adam says, This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. And then we get this little, uh, this little commentary inserted into the story from the author. Notice in verse 24, the author says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. And then he goes back to the story in verse 25. Um, but he gets this little side point. Humanity is split into two pieces, but he says this is why we have marriage, because marriage reassembles what originally existed together. Humanity is designed to connect you to other people. Humanity isn't designed for people to live as individuals. In the West, we live in an individualistic society. I can exist and be happy and fulfilled all on my own. I don't need other people. That just doesn't hold up. The end result of that thinking ultimately leads to frustration and anxiety and psychological collapse, which I think we see in our society today. People are like, I can do it on my own. I don't need anybody else. And they've reached a point where they realize that's a horrible way to live. A human separate from other human relationships is not good. It lacks its full potential. A human without meaningful relationships will look human, but will be unable to act human. 
I read all these case studies about children that were rescued out of situations where they were literally left alone, sometimes abandoned or kept in attics and they were provided food but had no social interactions. And not only the psychological damage that was done to them, but the physical damage on their very bodies. Humans are designed to need other people. We need other people. Darby and I did a magic puzzle last Sunday when it snowed. Um, if you've never done a magic puzzle, pick one up. They're so cool. I, I usually get bored of puzzles. I just don't have the attention span for them usually. But this is really cool because when you're done with the puzzle, I won't blow it for you, but it like reveals something. And you're like, oh man, like you put the whole thing together and then there's like, something happens. And so go out and get one, borrow one from me. Um, you have in your chair right there though, a puzzle piece. Imagine yourselves like a puzzle piece. You and I are like puzzle pieces. We need relational connections with other people to be whole. A puzzle piece by itself is useless. It's like, what do you do with this? There's nothing. In fact, you might look at it and say, I make no sense looking at this puzzle piece. I don't even know what this is. Is it snow? Is it water? Is it a tree? Is it boat? What is this? Is it a cloud? Um, but until you have relational connections with other people, you won't realize who you are and you won't realize where you fit. You need other people. You need community. Today is Valentine's Day, or as my sister likes to say, Singles Awareness Day, because <laughs> She's not in a romantic relationship. Um, she's like, thanks for that yearly reminder, Hallmark. You know, it just makes me feel terrible. For many of you today, for many of you, today is a yearly reminder that you don't have that one relational connection that you desperately want, a romantic partner that loves and cherishes you. Uh, for Darby and I, we have this missing piece on the puzzle piece of our lives where we long to be parents, and we're just like, we just can't find that piece. It's just like, another year of updating our adoption paperwork and we're like, are we ever gonna be parents? Like, where is this missing piece? Um, we totally understand what it feels like to be incomplete with a missing relational piece in your life. God sees, it, sees your missing pieces. He sees you and says, this is not good. God's not ignoring you, he's not distracted, just like he saw Adam and said, Adam needs Eve. He's passionate about finding the relational pieces need to be emotionally healthy and achieve your full human potential. You can't do it on your own. You need community. But for some of us, um, we're really missing the relational piece of connecting to God himself. We're super interested in finding those human relationships, but we're less interested in making sure our relationship with God is healthy. I talk to young people all the time. They're like, I want a spouse. I want a good, cool spouse like you have with Darby. How do I get that? And I'm like, honestly, we need to step back and talk about the fact that you don't have a relationship with God. Jesus said our relationships with people and with God were inexplicably linked. In Matthew 22, 37 through 39, Jesus says, love God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Until you love God right, loving people just won't ever happen like you hope. Loving God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and experiencing his love positions us to love others and love ourselves correctly. Until we realize how deeply we're loved by God, we won't have the confidence to love others. Until we realize how deeply we are loved by God, we'll constantly look to other humans to tell us we're worthy of love. And so we'll start using people in order to feel loved instead of actually loving other people. 
God loved you so much that he gave his only son, Jesus, so that whoever puts confidence in his love will never perish, but will enjoy a life that extends beyond death. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us. You didn't love us because we were so likable. In fact, many times we are very difficult people. And many times I do selfish and destructive things that hurt myself and hurt other people around me and hurt the world, the creation that you made. But yet you came and died in my place so that I might be called, uh, I might be called a son of God. Thank you. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for showing us what love looks like. Lord, I pray that you would help us to love others like you've loved us. Lord, you help us to build strong connections with other people. Help us to recognize that we need community in order to survive and thrive. But above all, I pray that your name is high, lifted up, and glorified. Yeah.